Insights on Responsible Business is a podcast about organizations building trust, security, and resilience to thrive in an era of stakeholder capitalism. Our host is Sir Rob Wainwright, who talks with business leaders and experts about their experiences in charting a new direction to what is commercial success and greater societal impact. Our special guest today is Robin Leon, Managing Director of Detecting Financial Crime at ABN Ambro Bank, a department of 3,700 professionals who manage financial crime. Robin brings 25 years of experience in program management, risk management, product management, and audit. Rob and Robin are here to talk about the role of banks as gatekeepers in the financial system, the challenges in fighting financial crime, and ABN Ambo's ongoing battle to stay one step ahead of the bad guys. Over to you, Rob. Super, Vaidhi. Thank you very much. And a very warm welcome to you, Robin. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about a topic that's been close to both of our hearts uh, over, over yeah, many definitely. years. The business of fighting financial crime. Um, well, it's pretty clear, as you know, um, of course, that this is a very big deal for all banks. Regulators, I guess, would expect nothing less. And in your own bank, you know, we've heard from Vaidhi in the introduction, you've set up a very large, dedicated team to take this fight to another level and across the industry, according to some estimates at least, over a trillion dollars spent by all banks in running teams and making the right investments to prevent criminal intrusion on their platforms and systems. So so it's a very big deal. Robin, maybe let's start with why you think um, for banks this is so large scale and such an important area. Well, Rob, uh, let's first start with the, the responsibility that we have. Huh? So. Uh, banks are in the very good position to do the gatekeeper role, the gatekeeper role on all the accounts of customers. And we see the financial transactions of our customers on the bank accounts. And that brings us in, in the situation that we can yeah, really do this well. And it's also um, put in the law. Eh? So we have this gatekeeper role. Uh, from the law to do this, uh, to, to check on uh, whether there's uh, illegal or uh, maybe uh, suspicious or um, unusual behavior of customers. And the third one that is the reason is that it also has a moral responsibility. And we want as a bank, we are part of the society as well. So that means that you want to have impact uh, by giving information to the governance government and, and, and police to, to, yeah, to, to track down and to, uh, to, to get the financial criminality at, at hand and to make sure that the crooks are, are being caught and we can deliver information for that. So it's quite a responsibility you carry. I mean, you, you summarize the three main motivations that, that any bank would, would have, I guess. And it's not just tracking down drug traffickers and so on and keeping them off your networks. In the current context, if you think about Russia and Ukraine and the sanctions now imposed on the, on the Russian regime, that's, it's a good example of, uh, again, the sort of enormous responsibility that, that banks have to make sure that those sanctions, for example, um, are effective, I guess. Very, very good and very uh, urgent and very uh, actual uh, situation at the moment. Eh? So that... I think we all were very um, scared, and 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 uh, yeah, we uh, by the situation of Russia coming out into Ukraine. Myself, I also had the the urge to help uh, to help the Ukrainian Ukraine people, 
how good it is that you can also from a bank's perspective be a part of that uh, of helping out of indeed freezing money or um, stopping money from flowing towards uh, Russia or Russians. Uh, so we play also there a very important societal part. Yeah, absolutely. So the societal part, um, you know, which which you carry, and, and as you say, the moral moral pressure to a certain extent. How is that translated at the top of the bank of all banks? Do you, you know, how much of a priority, therefore, is this? You know, alongside all the competing commercial and other pressures that a big bank has these days. How important is this in the minds and the priority order of, of, of the boards and the people that are running banks like yours? I can also only speak for, for ABNMRO, of course, uh, Rob, because that's the bank that I work with. But uh, more in general, generally speaking, I see this with other banks as well. But talking from ABNMRO again, um, yeah, it's part of our strategy even. Eh? So we have a, uh, a purpose at ABNMRO, which is uh, banking for better for generations to come. So that really appeals to also having financial criminality as low as possible, because that's what the generations after us also need. And that's our more moral responsibility and also the support that we want to give to society. So that's the, that part. Um, talking from a more practical per, uh, standpoint, it also, we are urged by our supervisor regulator to do this better. And uh, we, we are also being fined on that in the past. Eh? And we had a even public prosecutor coming in uh, into Abin Ambro. That also gives a lot of urgency, of course. And uh, let's be fair about that as well. But for me, the first one is more important. Yes, banking for better. And, and you know, this series, as you know, Robin, is, is, is about responsible business. This is a good example. Uh, you, the way that you describe the responsibilities that you personally carry in your job and the bank does is, is an example of how the business world perhaps is, is becoming more attuned to societal problems at large and, and therefore wanting to act in a more responsible way. Well, let's move on to talk about um, the scale of the challenge here. I think our listeners will be interested. Uh, they might have you know, read the old story here and there, but I think we all know, we both know that the global criminal economy you know, is worth trillions of dollars. Um, you know, illicit income that comes from everything from trafficking drugs and people, large-scale fraud, ransomware, you know, and the list goes on. Um, from my time at Europol, I also know um, that around only 1% only of, of those illicit funds, however, are being seized each year by the authorities, despite all the investment that banks like yours are taking, all the investment by legislators, law enforcement, many others, and, you know, that investment over the last 30 years. So it's, you know, when you, when you see it in those ways, um, Robin, it's a pretty sobering fact that we're seizing only 1%. Um, and, you know, the current state is, you know, needs to improve clearly. And it was described, I think, quite well by The Economist last year in an article describing the anti-money laundering system as maybe the world's least successful policy experiment. So there's a bit of work to do here, isn't there? Why, why, why are we not doing a whole lot better, um, Robin? How, how do you see it? Um. Yeah, first of all, it's shocking, it, actually. If you hear that, that, that kind of numbers, it's, it's huge. And, and, and the, there's so a limited uh, percentage of uh, money being yeah, put, pulled back towards uh, society from the criminals. Uh, we need to do better. The full chain need to do better. Uh, it's my, I think, my, mm -hmm. my, my 
my call, my duty to stimulate that as well. But you have to be patient there as well. Huh? So first of all, the banks need to clean up their portfolios themselves to be preventive, to make sure that they understand who are their customers, what kind of transactions do they uh, have, and are they uh, suspicious or not? Are they unusual or not? So it starts with that. Huh? So, But that's only one part. And when, I think, uh, when you say that, Robin, because it's quite an important point that you make, and when you talk about making sure that you see across all your transactions who, who it is that's making these, so that we can find the right criminal. The volumes of transactions here are enormous, right? Not that, not that that's necessarily an excuse for the banks, but, but it's, it's a highly complex uh, business task to find the needle in the haystack each time. Each time. Yeah, that's true, uh, Rob, indeed. Eh? So uh, you're talking about trillions of transactions. And we all know that uh, money laundering, corruption, uh, terrorist financing, it's about not knowing or, or, or the criminal wants to hide it. So that means they have very smart ways of, of doing this, of making use of maybe banks or other facilitators. Um, so you're looking for unknowns maybe more than with fraud, where you have someone calling out to you and saying, hey, I've been, someone stole my money. And so you, then you have a trigger. If everything goes well in money laundering, you don't have any trigger at all. That means you have to really be smart. You need to really uh, collect a lot of data to find indeed that needle. So but if you do that right, and technology can help a lot, eh? we have done a lot in Epidemro as well on data science and data analysis to find those type of unusual uh, 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 transactions and to help out also uh, the police with that information. But that's my second part on your preferred uh, earlier question. That's about how can we make it more effective and work more from a goal together on getting the 1%, maybe to 2% or 5% and retrieving those that money back. And I think that's about setting the right priorities throughout the chain as much as possible, also within the boundaries of privacy, share data together, also public and private, and then use the techniques, data science, data analysis, to really track down the criminals. I think we can do that easily if we break down the walls between all those separate silos that we have in the chain. Yeah, that's a good point, very good point. And I saw that through my law enforcement career um, as well. And you talk about, um, you know, it, it, it's a responsibility that falls on all the actors throughout the chain, as you describe it. And, and one important part of that is breaking down the walls and information sharing. Um, I think, you know, some pretty good advances in the Netherlands, uh, you, you know, some good initiatives of sharing data between the banks, I think. Um, but, but in terms of, of the whole chain, in terms of this ecosystem of, of full seamless cooperation to the maximum, we're, we're not quite there yet, maybe? Or how, how do you see that? Are there improvements underway? Do you, do you think that the, the system is, is changing, is getting its act together collectively? It's going slowly, Rob. Uh, and uh, so let's be honest there. Sometimes on a day I'm happy and I'm looking forward towards the future and I'm like, okay, I'm getting enthusiastic. Uh, and sometimes I'm getting pessimistic because it's going so slow. And sometimes we have setbacks. 
And sometimes we are uh, sometimes caught in dilemmas of privacy versus uh, 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 fighting financial crime that we cannot really reconcile the, that dilemma. I think we can. There are opportunities for that. And there's technology that can really help out here. Uh, but it's about also about trust. Do we trust each other in the whole chain? Um, and also banks maybe coming, uh, well, maybe I'm talking now maybe specifically from the Netherlands situation, but we have come from a situation where we were not really trusted also by society. While we're doing, trying to do it as, as best as we can and maybe gaining a little bit more trust. So it's really in the, we are on the, on the, maybe on the, how do you say that? That we are balancing now more towards change in that, in that, in that chain and to become more effective. But it takes time to do it step by step, uh, Rob. Yes, I think, I think you're right. As you know, we saw, uh, as you know, just a few months ago, uh, at the end of last year, the European Commission issue, you know, it, its proposed program for reform, which was which was definitely a step in the direction. We saw the same coming out of the Biden administration in the US, the same in the UK. So it seems as if, as you say, we are on the balance or the start of some some change. Well, um, well, let's let's hope so. Let's let's unpack. Um, you mentioned data privacy, and sometimes you know it's 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 difficult, as you say, to reconcile the need to share data to fight crime with with data privacy. Uh, how, how is how does that play out in practice? What are the real challenges here, Robin? Um, well, with it, the bank, uh, it's about collecting the information uh, for, uh, for ABNMRA worldwide. Uh, so get also from foreign. Uh, branches the information towards Amsterdam so we can really use our capability in data science and data uh, data analysis also for those portfolios that's sometimes uh, a, a practical challenge and we're taking a look at it via uh, data protection also with legal insights etc and per country it can be different so that's a challenge and takes a little bit time or so to to build that up uh, outside the bank, uh, you were referring to indeed collaboration in the Netherlands and uh, transaction monitoring NL is a uh, great example of five banks doing transaction monitoring together on top of what they are doing themselves on transaction monitoring. So by sharing data pseudonymized, you can see more because you have, of course, more data from all banks. So you can see new patterns and uh, anomalies and unknown, unknown things uh, from, from uh, combining data. Also that, to do that, it takes trust between the five banks. We found a path to do that, and it's operational now. We need some law change uh, to, uh, to proceed with that, and uh, also there we need the, the trust of uh, the public parties to, uh, to come along with that. But st again, step by step, pursuing uh, being a little bit patient, uh, probably in a couple of years' time, we will look back at the 2022 as the year that we really made some breakthroughs uh, in this area. Yeah, and, and you know, I know from my day job, uh, Robin, that, that you know, working more globally uh, across the banking and government sectors, that this initiative, this specific initiative in Netherlands, you talk about, is already being talked about far and wide as 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 quite innovative and far-reaching. So. So bravo to the Netherlands and, and to all of you for, for, for doing that. And fingers crossed that it, that, that, that can work um, because it's, as you described it, it, it has some potentials, uh, very important potential here for us. Um, 
you talked also a little bit about um, the, the developments in your bank. Let's, let's, let's unpack that because there's another example maybe of individual blanks like yours that are using modern technologies, you say, to try and get a step ahead here. Describe for me how, how you know, the, the kind of journey that you've been on over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, actually, we started, uh, we call that uh, detecting financial crime from a first line perspective for the full bank. So uh, global uh, scope to set up detecting financial crime uh, centrally. So it is a very centralized approach. And I think it's needed because you need to have global standards based on, of course, on the law and, and the policies of the bank. Uh, you need to have global tooling to control uh, this, this, this important but also complex uh, topic. And you need also to have uh, global operations to do it in the same way, to harmonize, to standardize. Because in that way, you receive and collect the needed data and bring that to an analytics platform where you can build models on. And you can more and more augment the, 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 the manual work and the expertise of my staff with data, with data analysis, with um, risk analysis being done automatically based on the things that we have done before. Also with the big remediations that we have done, we have learned so much about risk triggers, about transaction monitoring, we can score per transaction what will be the probability of a SAR filing. And we can use that. You can have, based on your risk appetite, have a threshold in there uh, to make sure that you see only those transactions that are really relevant. And the result of that, for instance, uh, Rob, is that we have moved out from a 5% SAR ratio, uh, hit ratio on, on the alerting to 15%. And that says oh, yeah, we so should, uh, much explain, time. Robin, just for our listeners, SAR uh, as in suspicious activity reporting, you're obliged to report any suspicious transactions to the regulator, the FIU. And the hit rate, which are those that are received by the FIU, which are that were deemed worthy of further investigation, is, so it's gone from 5 to 15%. So that, that by industry standards, is, is, is a high percentage. And um, maybe, as you say, is proof that, that you're doing something right here. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that brings a lot of success and that makes me proud of, also of the team and that uh, stimulates further development in this area very carefully yeah? because one of the things, of course, when you're using data science and artificial intelligence, machine learning, all those new things, it also brings the responsibility for explainability, that we really understand what the model, models are doing that we can also um, uh, explain that to a regulator, explain it to society also what we are doing here. So, um, uh, yeah, very proud on those developments. So what I'm hearing from you uh, today, Robin, I think is a, is a mixed picture of success, maybe. Um, you know, you, sometimes the reform efforts, the progress is going a little bit too slowly for your liking. There's still a lot of work to do in the banking and indeed other sectors. At the same time, we're seeing signs of, of big progress uh, here in the Netherlands, some, some innovation around bringing the banks together to share the data in the way that you explained, and the work that you're doing at ABN AMRO, which maybe is, is being repeated by at other banks as well. So some signs uh, point to a more optimistic future. Important that I think we do stay optimistic. You're not allowed to have those pessimistic days, Robin. Um, you know, you need to 
to stay on the bright side here. You do a very important job. Um, and, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for sharing this amazing insight into the world of financial crime for, for our listeners. And thank you, perhaps more importantly, for the work that you and your colleagues do. You're welcome. Described in The Economist as the world's least successful policy experiment, the global system designed to tackle financial crime has struggled to mount a serious challenge to this problem that afflicts both society and our economy. And what a problem it is. Trillions of dollars of dirty money generated each year through the trafficking of drugs and people and the pursuit of cybercrime, fraud and so much more serious criminal activity. Most of those funds find their way to the banking system through sophisticated criminal means to disguise the true source of the income and enrich some very bad actors in this world. The onus to respond lies in great part on banks and their ability to keep their accounts and systems free of illegal activity. It's quite a challenge given the volumes of illicit money involved, as we've heard today, and the ingenuity and reach of those seeking to gain the system and some material design faults in that system. The banking sector, rightly in many ways, has attracted much negative scrutiny for not doing well enough, notwithstanding those challenges. But signs of significant improvements, with a considerable appetite for reform and innovation, are beginning to come through. Robin de Jong is one of a number of new generation financial crime fighters in this industry determined to take a bold new approach, determined to make a bigger impact on this problem. He knows that what's at stake is something of material interest to society and to the health and integrity of the financial system at large. He knows that getting this right is also of material interest to the reputation and future sustainability of major banks making business more responsible, making society safer. Thank you for listening to another episode of Insights on Responsible Business. We hope you enjoyed it and will tune into our next episode. Please review us on Spotify, the iTunes podcast app or whatever popular podcast app you're using and find out more on Deloitte.nl. See you next time.